0: This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Amen to that. Kids, if you're going to class, you're dismissed. Kids going to class? Okay. Hit the bricks, short people. Children We won't name names. Let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, as we just sang, we begin again by saying glory to you in the highest for the work that you have done through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace and the mercy that you've shown us through the power and the might that you worked through him, Lord, I pray that you would once again do that in our hearts as we turn to your word, that you would, through the power of Jesus Christ and the work of your spirit in our, in our hearts, you would change us and grow us, that you would convict us and encourage us, that you would have your way not only in our minds and in our hearts, but in our lives. I pray you'd do that now, Lord, that we would shine brighter in this dark, broken world. Father, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. We are going to be in Amos chapter 9. Yes, that is a book in the Bible. Um, If you flip your Bible open to the middle and start heading to your right, you'll get there eventually. If you hit, like... Micah or Habakkuk or Jonah, you've gone too far. Turn back. Yeah. If you're just joining us, our Advent theme this year is that today is still a day of hope. That today is still a day of hope. And the reason I wanted that to be our theme this year is because this world is broken. And this time of year seems to amplify that brokenness. You see, this time of year, our culture pushes this manufactured hope on us that says you can fix that brokenness during this time of year. And the proof that we're buying what our culture is selling is the trillion-dollar Christmas industry. Yes, you heard me right. The world will spend over a trillion dollars this year on Christmas. However, when the, when the Christmas season washes its makeup off on December 26th, we, we realize that it wasn't all that it said it was. In, in fact, there's even an official psychological classification for this called post-holiday depression. And just two months ago, the National Alliance on Mental Illness reported that 64% of people in America say they're affected by it. Listen to how Dr. Melissa Weinberg describes this, and then I'll put it into English for you. She said, even if, our, even if your holidays weren't so merry and bright, the brain exaggerates the realities of day-to-day life, making the return to the mundane seem disproportionately more anxiety inducing and depressing than it actually is. In other words, for about three or four weeks during this time of year, we tell ourselves, this is fun, this is fun, I'm serious, this is fun. But when the bills and the relationships and the newness comes into contact with reality, we're reminded that something is broken, and I'm not just talking about the new TV. Which, by the way, what's the thing with the TVs? You guys know what I've wa- Why when you're watching like clips of holiday shopping is there always somebody with a cart full of TVs? What are you going to do with four TVs? What happened to the four TVs you bought last year? I'm starting to think maybe more TVs is not the solution for whatever's going on in your house, but... For many, my point is is that the holiday season is this reminder of how broken not just things are, but people are. Which is why this morning I want to convince you that today is still a day of hope for the broken. That today is still a day of hope for the broken. In Amos, during Amos' time, Israel kind of like us sometimes, they had a misplaced hope. You see, at this time, Assyria, the the main world power, was experiencing some deep political strife, which left them unable to enforce their will on the the rest of the world at that time. And Israel assumed that meant that God was, was taking care of them, was elevating them back to world power. However, for the first eight and a half chapters of of this book, Amos explains that Assyria was just taking a breath before it actually increased its grip on those that were subject to it. So what Israel thought was the the beginning of their golden age was actually the, the, the last flush of a terminally ill patient. In fact, in just a short couple of years, Israel wouldn't even exist as a nation any longer at all. And the worst part about it was God sent Amos to explain to Israel that God would actually be the one orchestrating their destruction. For example, in Amos chapter 6, in verse 11, God said, For behold, the Lord commands, and the great house shall be struck down into fragments, and the little house into bits. Immediately preceding our passage at the beginning of chapter 9, uh, Amos, uh, or the Lord said, strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them, I will kill with the sword. So if your house doesn't fall on, you're you going to get killed by the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. And then in verse eight, God said, behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground. He said in verse 9, For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth, meaning it's just going to be shaking. That's a brief summary of the first nine and a half chapters of Amos. It's a real happy book. (laughs) However, while God is promising to destroy all of Israel's capitals and luxurious houses and big buildings, In the last five verses of Amos, he offers this little glimmer of hope. He speaks of another house, a house that had been neglected and forgotten, but a house that in the midst of the destruction of all of these other houses, he was going to rebuild. Look at verse 11 of Amos chapter 9, where we see that the first reason there's still hope today for the broken is because that house was the house of David. There's still hope today for the broken because the house of David has been rebuilt. He says, In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Now, when Amos says the booth of David, um, David's not selling watches at the mall. A booth is like a tent, it's like a house. Is what he's saying. And, and, and Amos uses that word very intentionally, calling it a tent or a booth, because it stands in, sh- in sharp contrast to all the big buildings that God was going to level. Because you see, it should have been the opposite. The house of David should have been the big one, and the houses and the buildings should have been the little ones. All the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised David's throne would endure for eternity and that it would be the center of God's people. But what happened was David's throne had been neglected and soiled. So that by the time of Amos, what we see is the house of David, that God intended to be this shining center of his people. It looked more like a broken down tent in the backyard. It was the opposite of what God had commanded. So through Amos, God is saying, I'm not only going to tear down the capitals that you've built for yourself, I'm going to repair and raise up this tent of David that you've neglected. Now, in case you're wondering what a 2,500-year-old tent has to do with us, back then... All of your salvation, all of your protection, all of your peace, it all came through the king. Without a strong king, you had no peace. You had no salvation. You were conquered and owned by your enemies. So in Amos's day, the big deal with David's house is that David was the kingly line that God had said all of his promises for this peace and protection would come through. If it didn't go through David's line, they had no peace or protection. In other words, without this house of David, there would be no salvation from enemies, there would be no peace, there would be no protection. But fast forward about 2,500 years to us, and it gets worse. Because now we know God wasn't just talking about protection and salvation from the Canaanites and the Amalekites and the Brownie Bites. We know that's not what he was talking about. You see, now we know that God was using them just as a physical example for a far more insidious enemy, a far more dangerous enemy. He was talking about our need for a king to protect us from sin. You heard me right. In this room, in the 21st century, we still need a king We still need a king to save us from being overrun and enslaved by our sin. And God's promise to protect his people through the king on David's throne is not ended. Meaning we still need David's house to save us from our enemy, from our sin. So look again at the beginning of verse 11. And watch what God says when he says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David. I will repair its breaches, I will raise up its ruins, and I will rebuild it as in the days of old. There is still hope today for the broken because God rebuilt the house of David. In other words, God rebuilt the house of the king through which he promised he would protect his broken people from sin. And he rebuilt the house of David through the birth of David's descendant. His name was Jesus. In fact, listen to the king language in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. Listen to the king language to describe when when God broke ground on this, this rebuilding project. In Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, he said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Today, right here in this room, there is still hope for the broken because God has rebuilt the house of David in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the king who God placed on the throne of David. And Jesus is the king who has the power and the authority to protect and save and guard God's people. Which means every day is a day of hope for God's people because Jesus will sit on that throne for eternity. But there's a problem. It's a big problem. Only God's people are invited to that party. And in case you didn't know this, you are neither a Jew nor are you friends with God. Mankind has not been God's people for a long time. It's like one of the most frustrating things for a builder is to go back into a house that they built a while ago and find it trashed. I, I remember one I built about 15 years ago where the owners brought dental mirrors to the walkthrough to check the bottoms of doors and nooks and crannies under cabinets, and they brought a level to check every last little bitty thing. They were nitpicky, to say the least. We got them moved in. About a year later, I was walking down the street. They flagged me down, invited me into their house to, to have some of this uh, food for this New Year's celebration they were doing. and. I've seen a lot, but I have to admit, I was shocked when I walked into this house. To start, there were probably at least 25 people living in this 3,000 square foot house. They had probably 10 to 15 hot plates all over the kitchen counter, and probably out of at least half of them, every manner of liquid, jelly, soup had boiled over and was running down the front of the kitchen cabinets. You couldn't see the floor for all the trash, newspapers, plastic bottles. Coke cans, at least hundreds of cigarette boxes inches deep on the floor. Anyway, the point is, is that this world is kind of like this, that house. We broke it. This world is broken because we broke it. And that's the problem. Just like any of us, God doesn't allow people who break things into his house. Our God is a holy, perfect God, and He only allows holy, perfect people into David's house. Perfect. You heard me right. Perfect people. In fact, Jesus, He stated this explicitly in the Sermon on the Mount. You don't need to turn there. But after emphasizing the, the point of the Mosaic Law, after emphasizing His purpose at the end of that, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 49, He summed it all up and said, You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. That eliminates all of us. So what are broken people to do? Look what Amos says next. He says there is still hope today for the broken because the house of David was not only rebuilt, but it has also been remodeled. He says in verse 11, we'll start there, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, repair its breaches, raise up its ruins, rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Now now that remnant of Edom that Adam, Amos talks about in verse 12, that's the cool part, because the Edomites were some of the worst enemies of Israel. They were the descendants of Esau, who for hundreds of years were at constant war with Israel. So look closer at the language. We're going to do this one more time at verse 11 and 12. God says, I will rebuild this house. I will raise up the booth of David. Verse 12, why? So that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations. Meaning, I'm going to raise up the house of David so that those in the house of David can possess that remnant, can possess my enemies. In other words, there is still hope today for the broken because God remodeled the house of David to make room for people like the Edomites. There's now a place for those who were once God's enemies in this eternal house of David. And how did he do that? How did God just make room for people like you and I? Listen to how Paul explained it in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. He said, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made In the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You weren't part of David's house, is what he's saying. That's the that's the enemy part. He says in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. How? How have those people outside the house been brought near? By the blood of Christ. For through him we both now have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And listen, and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Listen, there is still hope today for the broken, because just like the house of David, so too can the broken be rebuilt by the blood of Christ. So how broken do you feel this morning? Is there something that you don't have the power to get hold of? You cannot get control of, something that is broken in you that you can't seem to do anything to fix. I can tell you it's a big day when a parent reckons the truth that their parenting wasn't enough to raise good kids. I can tell you it's a big day when a a husband reckons the truth that he's lived a lot of his life in selfish ambitions and neglected his wife and his family. I can tell you it's a big day when a woman reckons the truth that she doesn't have many friends because she's cold and bitter. I can tell you personally it's a big day when a grown child reckons the truth that all of their problems are not their parents' fault, that's their own. The point is, is we're all in different stages of recognizing how broken we are. There is still hope today for the broken. Because God not only rebuilt David's house, he remodeled it. And when he remodeled it, he added a hospital wing. He added an ER where mercy and grace can be applied to the wounds of the people broken, not only by their own sin, but by the sins of others. He added an infirmary where the sinful blood of broken people can be transfused with the perfect blood of Christ. And he added a convalescent wing outside of that where, where those who have been rebuilt, those sinners, those broken sinners that are being rebuilt can be guarded and grown and cultivated and nurtured for eternity. There is still hope for broken sinners because that house of David that God rebuilt, it's still accepting new patients through the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is still hope today for broken sinners Who have already entered the house of David because God continues to work on people like you and I through that same blood of Christ. This is where I think things get interesting because Amos doesn't stop there. Like any good real estate agent, Amos goes on to describe some some of the amenities of this rebuilt house of David. Look at verse 13 where Amos says those living in the house of David can enjoy God's provision. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. This language here in this poetry, it's incredible. Listen, look again in the first half of verse 13. We got to get Dean up here to explain this. He's saying that the crop is growing as fast as it's planted. Meaning, the crop is being, it's ready to harvest right after it's sown. The guy harvesting the crop is right on the heels of the guy planting the crop. But in the second half of verse 13, about the mountains dripping sweet wine, the the imagery is this. It's that not even that can all be harvested. There's so much that none All the grapes can't be harvested, and so wine is just flowing down the hills for everybody to enjoy. Now, I want you to listen how Jesus fulfills this beautiful imagery in John chapter 2. If you remember, there was a wedding in Cana where the owners didn't have enough wine for everybody. So Jesus' mother Mary, who was one of their friends, was like, Jesus, do that God thing that you do. And Jesus was like, mm-mm. She's like, yes. You may be God incarnate, but I'm still your mother. Go do something. <laughs> that might not be how it happened. The thing is, is, while they didn't have enough wine, what they did have was about 180 gallons of, of water. To, to, it, was, it was water for the ritual purification, for cleaning, so that they could be ritually clean, according to the Mosaic Law. So Jesus just turned that water into the finest wine that they ever had. But that's not the most amazing thing. It's incredible that he turned water into wine. That's not the most amazing thing. The most amazing thing was that he turned all of the water into wine. In other words, by turning all the water into wine, Jesus was saying, as long as I'm here, you don't need to be cleansed by ritual anymore. All you need to do, now that Jesus has come, he's saying, now that I'm here, the greatest need was no longer to be ritually clean, but just to enjoy the feast. And that wine, that wine still flows freely today for those in the house of David. In the house of David, there is no need to clean anymore by by ritual or by penance. Because you have been permanently cleansed by the pure blood of Christ. In other words, there is more forgiveness than can be harvested. In fact, there is so much forgiveness and joy that it is just flowing down the hills for people like us in the house of David to enjoy. Those living in the house of David enjoy God's provision. Look at verse 14 where Amos says those living in the house of David also enjoy God's restoration. He says, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. Now, just to be clear, we heard the word fortunes and God ain't talking about money. He's not talking about restoring financial wealth to his people. He's talking about a far greater restoration He's talking about the restoration of community. Look again at how Amos describes what those fortunes look like in verse 14. God says, I will restore the fortunes of my people. And then what does that look like? It looks like cities that they live together. It looks like vineyards that they drink together. It looks like gardens where they eat together. Now, I know I have to be careful in this group when I use the word productive. Otherwise, one of you is going to have another baby. But now what I want you to see is I want you to see that now the people are productive. Did you catch that? Listen, now the broken people are no longer breaking things. Now they're producing things. I want you to think about your brothers and sisters in this room and the other half that's traveling. Because this is the city. This is the community that God is restoring to us. The true fellowship that is broken by sinners is being restored to us in this little bedroom community of heaven. It's a a community that is governed by truth and grace where we drink deeply of the wine of forgiveness and joy and we eat our fill of the fruit of the Spirit. And look again at why all of this is happening. The beginning of verse 14 tells us this is all because God is restoring his formerly broken people. Those in the house of David, they enjoy God's provision and God's restoration. And lastly, in verse 15, Amos tells us they enjoy God's preservation. He says, I will plant them. I hope you've caught on to that. There's a lot of I's here, God talking. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted. Out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. I will plant them in their land, and because I planted them, they cannot be moved out of the land that I gave them. One of the greatest hopes that lies in the house of David for the broken is preservation. It's preservation. It's preservation. But it's not just preservation in some random place. It's not just preservation in some place on the earth. That's what the symbol is, but it's not the reality. God's not promising to to preserve us on a patch of ground. He's promising to preserve us in the presence of God. He's promising that that is where He'll preserve us. Nobody and no thing can uproot you from the presence of God when you're there by invitation of Jesus Christ. Because nobody or no thing can defeat Christ the King. Listen, if you have been brought into the house of David by the blood of Jesus Christ, listen to me, not even you can defeat that King. You can't even excuse yourself from that house. He's too strong and he loves you too much. In fact, the the blood of that king is so strong that rather than your brokenness removing you from his house, he just fixes your brokenness so you can stay. How can there be any more hope for the broken than the hope that the house of David has been rebuilt? That it has been rebuilt and there has been a place provided for us by the blood of Jesus. It was remodeled with the nails that were driven through his hands. It was glued together by his blood. And broken people find their place in this house that they shouldn't be. Because as Bob read this morning, God loved us. That's why he did it. I don't understand how there could be more hope than that house of David has been rebuilt. Because we, the broken, have been given an invitation to that house. An invitation written in the blood of the king. An invitation written in the blood of Jesus Christ. There is still hope today for the broken because he's a king that only accepts his people so he makes us his people. There's still hope for the broken, because he's a king that only accepts non-broken people, so he unbreaks us. There's still hope today for the broken, because his blood, the king's blood, is too powerful for anyone to remove us from it. There is still hope today for the broken in the house of that king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you have done through Jesus Christ. That you did not need to do. You could have restored David's house and left it at that, but you didn't. You restored that throne and then made a way for broken sinners like us to enter that house. You invited beggars and thieves and prostitutes, sinners of every kind to this home. It is such a wonderful thing that you've given us in Jesus Christ, Lord. I praise you I magnify you that you cleaned us and then allowed us into your house. Father, I pray that that truth, that that reality would sink deeply into our hearts, that you would change us by it, that in the midst of this broken world, we would be lights of hope, the joy and the forgiveness that is flowing down the hills of Mount Zion would flow through us instead of past us. Father, I thank you for this. I know you've done this in the name of Jesus, by his sacrifice, and so it is in his name that I pray. Amen. Amen. If those that